Well, today with being Palm Sunday, um, you know, I thought we'd maybe take this opportunity to prepare our hearts for Easter this week and come in from a perspective of the early disciples um, and the disciples that were with Jesus during that uh, Passion Week. Um, and so that's kind of the perspective for the first two-thirds of the message is try to put you in those sandals of those early disciples as you've experienced uh, what, uh, what, what Christ was doing during that last week here um, before his, uh, the crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day with worship and admiration. You are our Redeemer and our God, and we love you, and we offer an offering us a way where there seemed to be no way, Lord. You made that way possible for us. We are your disciples, and we long to be with you. You are our friend, our brother, our Lord, and our Redeemer. May all glory and power be unto your name. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So as we remember the, the Passion Week of the Christ, as disciples, I'd like to take that, a brief moment and walk through those final days before the cross and the resurrection as we remember Jesus during this Holy Week. We'll participate uh, communion on Thursday um, at the Last Supper. So today, as I mentioned earlier in the service, is Palm Sunday, and as disciples of Christ will journey into Jerusalem with Jesus into his, tri in, into his triumphant entry into the city. In a great crowd with palm branches, uh, we'll meet Jesus, and together we will cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Good day this Sunday. Tomorrow, we will travel with Jesus to the temple, and there he will um, encounter or confront some unscrupulous buyers and sellers selling in the temple, trying to make a profit. And Jesus will proclaim, It is written, My house shall be, called, shall be a house of prayer. This Tuesday, in two days, while traveling with our Lord, the Sadducees and Pharisees, who are against Jesus, will try to entrap Jesus by asking him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, will say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbors as yourself. This Wednesday, in three days, we will be sitting at Jesus' feet as he talks about the destruction of the temple in the signs of the end times. In Matthew 24, he says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. He's giving us indication that he's coming back. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This Thursday, in four days, we will celebrate the Passover meal, celebrating the, the Passover meal of when the, it was passed over in, in Egypt, when they were saved in Egypt, and the Last Supper with Jesus, kind of correlated on that same day. 
and we'll, we will eat. We will eat, and Jesus will take the bread, and he'll break it and give it and saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. So if you'd want to take the wafer that represents the broken body of our Lord that was broken for you and me. Let's take it. Thank you, Lord. Then he will take the cup, and he, when he has given thanks, he will give it to us, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my, of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us take the juice representing the blood sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. Jesus will proclaim, I tell you, I shall not drink from the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink with you anew in my Father's kingdom. Later that night, as one of the disciples, you'll head up to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus will tell you, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He will go a little further and fall on his face and pray, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. This Friday and five days after an intense night of trial and persecution and torture, we will watch our bloody Lord carry a heavy wooden cross through the streets of Jerusalem up to the Golgotha, the place of the skull. We'll be standing in the back of the crowd, crying, praying, fear gripping our hearts, angry, full of disillusionment. And after a while of seeing our Lord suffer on that cross, we will hear these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We will go into hiding and mourning on Saturday. Shocked at what happened, maybe disbelief, confusion. He was supposed to save us from the Roman Empire. He was supposed to save us and be king of the world. We'll turn to our brothers and sisters, uncertain of our futures. Did we hear him right? Did we understand what he was teaching us when he was on earth? Is he coming back? Can any of this be real? This Sunday, early in the morning, our sister Mary Magdalene will come rushing into where we reside and proclaim, the Lord is not there. The stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty. Elation and joy, maybe a little bit of confusion, will, start, uh, will overwhelm our hearts as we see later in the day Jesus appear to us. Jesus will proclaim, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning here in Jerusalem. 
We will see Jesus appear to us at least 10 more times over the next 40 days, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. Our, before he ascends, um, and he'll be, it, it, it's recorded that he is, will meet with over 500 people before he ascends on the Mount of Olives. The good news of the resurrection will spread and more disciples will be created. We'll call ourselves the way, as it is written six times in the book of Acts. Later, we will be called Christians in Acts. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught with a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, belonging to or followers of Christ, also known as disciples of Christ. Before Jesus ascends, he tells us in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. He's here with us today. By 150 AD, about 120 years after Christ's ascension, the gospel of the good news will have reached 12% of the known world. By 300 AD, 40% of the world would have heard about Jesus, and they're estimated about 12% will be in relationship with Christ. Christianity we all have already have touched as far out as China, and Ireland, and the Netherlands, and Holland, growing disciples. By 380 A.D., gladiator games will have ceased because of the Christian influence, the barbarianism of the gladiator games. The Christian's influence will build the first hospitals, facilities for the handicapped persons. Prisons will start separating male and female. As the forces of light and dark clash, there will be incredible persecution and about three million fellow believers will lay down their lives for the Lord. One of the persecutors will be quoted in saying, these Christians do not only care about their own poor, but they also care about our poor. During the 300 years, there will not be any recording of a church building. And that's kind of incredible, you know. First 300 years, the church grew by leaps and bounds and no, no big structure buildings to come to every Sunday morning. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Because we are disciples, just like those early disciples were that walked with Jesus. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he, uh, he didn't ask for a raise of hands who wants to accept Christ today or have some type of altar call. He told people to come follow him. Disciple means learner, and he, tell, he calls us to be a learner of him. In Mark 4, 34, it says, But without a parable, he did not speak to them, and, and when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. So when he spoke in public, he spoke in parables. He was dealing with those Pharisees and Sadducees listening to everything he was saying, look, trying to trip them up. So he had to speak in ways in parables and in stories to try to get his point across without offending uh, the people of that time. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained things clearly to them. 
So they might have known exactly what was going to happen on Good Friday in, in resurrection, although it might have been a little bit hard for them to deal with. Um, it was tradition in those days that when a rabbi taught, and Jesus was considered a rabbi or teacher, uh, the students would repeat everything verbatim. So it's, it's, it's um, speculated that when Jesus spoke uh, at the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples would recite what he was saying and speak it verbatim. That's the way that you know, teachers taught their students back then. If we want to be a disciple and a good disciple, you know, we really need to start memorizing scripture as well. Psalms 119.11, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need that his word in his heart. It helps us stay in the spirit and, and uh, it always has his influence in our lives and our minds. You know, edifying speech. It was interesting that when Peter was being tested on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Scripture says in Matthew 26, And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know that man. Immediately the rooster crowed. We still see that today, don't we? You know, most Christians have a pretty clean speech versus what we hear on TV and, and just from others in the world that delights in profanity. As disciples, our speech should edify both God and ourselves. You know, workers of Christ, you often heard that we are the hands and feet of Christ. As disciples, we should be diligently performing the work of the Lord. Be diligent to present yourself approved by God, 2 Timothy 2.15, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly divided, dividing the word of truth. We should be abounding in the work of the Lord. Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.58 and serving the Lord at every opportunity. And Jesus said, And whoever gives to one of these little ones only, a, only at least a cup of cold water in my name as a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Given authority. As disciples, you know, often you hear of all the miracles that the, the disciples, after the... Um, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon uh, the early church. Um, in Luke 9, 1, it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over demons and the ability to cure diseases. As disciples, we have been given power and authority. There's many other instances that it wasn't just the twelve. It was initially the twelve, but then other disciples um, performed miracles as well. You know, we need to use that power and authority to build this kingdom. The enemy of our souls want to repress us and make us feel, believe that we are weak and sickly, but that's not the case. You know, I shared with, during the Bible study that I was trying to do some chainsawing and, you know, my joints were just hurting all night and this and that. And, you know, I could live in that reality or I can say, no, nope, in Jesus' name, I claim authority over this 
illness or whatever the, these conditions are I'm dealing with. And, you know, as I started doing that and praying that this morning, the pain started subsiding. And um, we have more power and authority than what we, we fully understand, I think. It means to take on those things. So power and authority means to take on those things that are under God, but over us. There's nothing that you're facing that God uh, cannot uh, deal with. Um, but there are many things that you deal with that are facing that are bigger than you. God has given us authority to take on those things that are under God yet over you. We have the power and authority to do that. So, you know, think of things in your life that just seem overwhelming to you, but realize that God can handle it and take on authority and, and in Jesus' name, speak life into that situation. This is God's desire for our schools. This is God's plan for our government. This is God's plan for our families. Take on authority of those spirits and situations that arise. I've, I've seen a big movement in a lot of the Christian church. Um, they're running for political offices. We've seen that back in like 1996. There was a big movement towards Christians moving into local public offices and stuff like that. Um, we're starting to, I'm starting to see that again in school boards trying to take back our schools. We have power and authority. It's not just because we're, we're together, it's because Christ has given us that authority. Um, in Luke 10, 2, it says, And he said to them, the, the, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest fields. And again, back to that body of Christ that we talked about three weeks ago, you know, it's, we need to be in, uh, together and encourage one another in this endeavor. God has given us authority to take on those things that are under God but over you. He empowers his people. We've got to walk in that. So, in conclusion, you know, it's a short sermon today, but in conclusion, if you're holding to Christ's teachings, you are truly his disciple. We no longer can afford, hold on to the standards of Christianity that is set forth in, in, this, in this world of centuries and centuries of tradition and ritual. We need to take on that authority of a disciple of Christ. In our minds, we must first and foremost call ourselves disciples, and we need to seek those callings and blessings of being a disciple. I encourage everyone here today to fulfill that calling for our risen Christ. He is, uh, may he find you studying the word. May he find you praying. May he find you trusting in him. May he find you serving. May he find you taking authority of, over those things, those evil spirits and sicknesses and those that are in need. Let us get out of our comfort zone this week and walk in that power and fullness in Christ as his disciple. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we need to fulfill our calling in you. We full-heartedly want to be your disciple. Give us the heart to serve you and bind those daily troubles and snares so that they do not interfere with our focus on you. Help us to realize the fullness of our calling 
in the power and the authority that you have given us, Jesus. Please make this message alive for us and lead us into a deeper relationship with you. You are so worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. So go today and be a disciple of our living God. Go in peace and serve the Lord.